So Loki, in part one of this podcast, or in episode one rather, because there's going to be multiple episodes. <laughs> Sorry, you had to find out this way. <laughs> oh, I'm locked in, I guess. <laughs> well, this is my fate. <laughs> We talked about various things pertaining to the lands, the maps, the kingdoms, the locations, the monumentals, and we touched on the nexus. Since we already talked about it in the first podcast, I would like you to just briefly reiterate, what is the Nexus? It's the hub world in terms of game mechanics, but in terms of lore, the idea is that there is this temple that is found in the far north by King Alant in Boletaria. And this temple is regarded as the Nexus. In Japanese, it's referred to as the Lynchpin Temple. So fans of Dark Souls or whatever may be familiar with the Titanite demons, these are referred to as bond demons, and it's the same kanji for kusabi that refers to this idea of being a bond, a tie, or a linchpin. And that latter meaning is what's relevant here, and the idea is that the Nexus is sort of this central hub, not just for the player, but for the entire fabric of reality, being bound and tied together at this, this for lack of a better word, linchpin, this little key point that's sort of the crux of holding all these ties and the archstones together to help keep the world in place. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Loki. So now, you actually have a really interesting theory about where the Nexus is located. Could you tell us about it? Well, in part, I would say I have like a small contribution on that front, but a lot of this I've seen in the English and Japanese community, both in terms of theories. And the general idea is that the Maiden in Black, who is essentially our firekeeper, she's the heroine that we interact with, go for level ups and everything. And the character is essentially found in the temple, and that's where she's bound, the same as us. So for my part, when we look at the prologue for the game, and I believe I mentioned this last episode, was that there was a cut prologue on the original Japanese website, which essentially gave us like a primer on sort of what the premise of the game was, and it gave a few extra details that aren't presented in the game itself. In that prologue, one of the details that is given to us, like I mentioned earlier, is that the Nexus is found by Boletaria, by King Alant, and it's described as being in this hinterland of icy mountains on the limits of human civilization. This is a very obvious reference to the Northern Limit, which was a cut area in the game. So this hinterland aspect is where I want to focus on precisely, because we could talk about the Northern Limit later. The idea being is that uh, the area is completely supposed to be like De like desolate, like, like no one is living up there because it's so far and remote and it's just not where people are living. If that is the case, then, is that any significant to how the Nexus got discovered? Because it's sort of like, okay, well, you haven't discovered it for, like, all these years since the monumental civilization collapsed in the first Demon Scourge and all that. Why was it rediscovered now? And one of the things I thought about when I was looking at that is that, well, there's one character we know who's very suspiciously absent sort of in terms of the prologue, but we get a few details that might connect him to the area, and that is... Rydell. He's referred to as, I believe, just Lord Rydell in the localization script, but in the Japanese script, he's actually referred to as the Frontier Lord. And the idea being is, 
We know he has a connection to Boletaria because he sort of has this nickname. He references the fat ministers and a relation to the king in his dialogue, especially in the Japanese version. And then in the actual sort of item descriptions and text, we hear that he's referenced as being Little Alon. So many fans have already theorized that he's like King Alon's little brother or something to that effect, which makes sense. And then this little brother happens to be a lord who is apparently living on the frontier. Now, Latria and all these other countries we go to, they're not really on the frontier. These are all human, civilized, inhabited lands. So it becomes curious, okay, well, the only frontier in Boletaria is in this northern area, as we've discussed earlier. So was Rydell then in this area, in the frontier? And he's also mentioned to have been having many legendary, like, sort of stories associated with him, as in he went on these grand adventures and did all these crazy things. And most popular among them is that he's happened to steal a staff from a witch in the sky. Now, this staff is evidently a magic staff, as we look at. I think it's treated as just like a spear or like just a polearm that you use in-game mechanically. Yeah, the phosphorescent pole. Yeah. Yeah, but it's very clear from the description and the name and the appearance that it's supposed to be a magic staff, and I think it even has an effect like restoring MP or something to that effect. With all of that in mind, a certain scenario sort of pops up in this. Okay, we know Rydell is a lord of the frontier, and we know that there is in fact a hinterland, a frontier essentially, over in the north in Boletaria, where the Nexus is located. We also know that, according to the story, he stole from a witch in the sky. Now, this is sort of weird, because it's like, okay, well, you have a witch in the sky, and you're stealing a staff from here? Like, that one, that that definitely sounds worthy of a legend, but it's kind of a weird detail to mention. I've seen that fans in both the English and Japanese community have already made the connection between this witch in the sky and the maiden in black. My contribution is, okay, well, we know that Around this time that where the Nexus gets discovered in this frontier region, with all these icy mountains and all that, we have an adventuring lord of about the age where these adventures would be going on, happens to steal a staff from a witch. And of course, as we know, like there are witches and stuff in Demon Souls even before the soul arts are rediscovered, but they're fairly rare, and soul arts aren't supposed to be properly discovered until King Alond happens to find this nexus where he then is like, oh, hey, you know, this is magic, and they start coming back and deriving and rediscovering all this lost lore. So with all of that in mind, mm-hmm. it seems that the king's little brother happens to go on this adventure, and then he sort of takes everything back, and it's like, oh, hey, brother, you know what I found? I got this staff from Witch in the Sky. He's like, wait, a Witch in the Sky? And then he hears more, and he's like, okay, well, we investigate. And King Alon goes, he finds the temple, and it's like, oh, there's actually a witch here! And then, boop, bada-bing, bada-boom, soul arts are discovered. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you mentioned that the Nexus would have been located in the northern frontier? Yes, that's actually sta- yes, that's stated explicitly in the Japanese prologue. That you found on the website, or? Yes. As far as I can tell, no remnant of it remains. Thankfully, there's like still news articles and wikis and things which did save and preserve it in there, so we have it for posterity's sake. But like a lot of the old websites, as far as I can tell, even on the English side, are like sort of like lost relics now. Mm. Mm-hmm. Same thing happened um, with Dark Souls 2. I worked with Santa on that. There's just like a ton of Dark Souls 2 stuff that is gone now that you can kind of dig up on archive.org. Kind of. Kind of. Okay, thank you. So now I have a question about the northern limit. Mm-hmm. The archstone is broken, so we can't get to it, right? Correct. Is it that the archstone itself is broken and the link is broken, or is the world like dead and gone? 
that's an interesting question because it is so vague. Like the series never gives you any extant reference, either like direct or indirect on what exactly happened. Now we talked last podcast about the idea that when sort of the world loses comprehension, the fog just sort of swallows up the land, kind of that quantum idea of sort of like, if you could, you have to confirm something like once you confirm something, it exists, but if you can't confirm it, it doesn't. So when no one has the ability to kind of rationalize the world and comprehend that it does exist, the fog just sort of swallows up. It's like, okay, I blurred the lines between reality and imaginary, so it's just going to go and disappear into the fog, right? So the question that fans have brought up is, okay, well, is the northern limit like one of those lands by the time we arrive that has been swallowed up? And it's like, well, maybe. And then another alternative I've seen is that, well, maybe the idea is that maybe King Alant or someone had destroyed the Archstone on this end and the land is still there, but we can't access. Well, maybe. The idea is just that we don't have enough data to work with on it. And it's sort of, you can go either way. One interpretation that I think probably has more merit just in terms of circumstance is the first theory that the land has just been swallowed up at this point, simply because the idea that the archstone, you have this giant big rock is sort of destroyed. It seems really weird to destroy this specific stone for any particular reason. So it seems more sensible to me that the stone like blew up or something because like the demons like destroyed the other arch stones that are would be there in the land and all the souls have been gobbled up. So therefore it's gone. It's 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 completely like sort of been sucked up and absorbed into the fog. I just wanted to mention something about the uh, northern limit. Mm-hmm. The cut enemies <laughs> seem to be beasts and Maria. Maria. <laughs> So the northern limit seems to be bloodborne. Well, that, that was one of the theories that people seriously floated. Fro- the, oh, yeah? It was frozen bloodborne. <laughs> no, that like if you because there's a lot of bloodborne demon souls connections, and we know now that like yeah, bloodborne explicitly was demon souls too when they started development. There is this theory that like, well, was the idea behind bloodborne being this game about like lycanthropy and beasts and stuff? Was it, if not literally, then, like, um, as far as the From were concerned, like a sort of spiritual successor to what they weren't able to do with the Northern Limit? Like, they wanted to bring back their beasts and stuff. I just had a vision. Oh, gosh. Go on. I know how the stone crumbled. Oh, no. So basically what happened was, Loki, you know how in the first part we talked about how monumentals need incredible concentration Mm -hmm. to keep the nexus together, right? Correct. So the monumental, she's the last one left, right? Correct. And so she's surfing memes on her phone and the maiden in black is like, you sure you should be surfing memes? You need all your concentrations to preserve this place. (laughs) And the monumental's like, it's fine, it's fine. So she's just chilling, not concentrated. Boom, and the archstone crumbles. And she's like, oh, crap. Uh, I don't know what happened. It's the ball got it. Maybe a black thing confiscates her phone. And from that point, that's why the monumental's (laughs) always always like kind of backbiting at the Maybe in Black throughout the whole game. She's just kind of pissed because her phone got taken. The whole time. Give me back my phone. No, then you're going to be imprisoned in the Nexus. (laughs) (laughs) So, Loki, I have a question about the fog. Oh, boy. (laughs) We talked a little bit about it in the first part, Mm -hmm. but I want to ask you specifically, like, 
Is the fog itself alive? We know that demons seem to emanate from it, or it's somehow connected to them, but what's going on? We don't know if the fog itself is like its own entity, like there's no mention of it or any indication as far as I'm aware. Maybe Richard notices something I don't. But as far as I can see, it seems to just be an extension of the old one. Um, I think I mentioned this back in the first episode, but just as like a primer. In the game files, the old one is referred to as the diffused one. And this is again, tie- this ties back into how the Vanguard boss that we fight at the beginning of the game and can see in Shrine of Storms is in fact also referred to as the diffused vanguard. So it's this idea of their spreading and sort of going around. So it seems like the fog is simply like just sort of this this force, this medium, I guess it would be the best word for it, that sort of spreads the the power of the old one because we know that things within the fog are also energized like magic is in sort of gets like a power boost inside the fog because it's like boletari and all these places that's gone in are apparently affected by it and freck even considers you know maybe it's not so bad having all this before he's like oh wait a second the demons darn yeah yeah freck's like oh silly me like i would have been totally okay with everything if it wasn't for the monsters ravaging the land how could i forget it's like yeah how could you forget for like two seconds (laughs) so the entire idea seems to be that the fog just sort of exists as an extension of the old one and as we explained last podcast it becomes the means with which demons begin to manifest and things like that it's the world transformation Mm -hmm. from berserk basically because Mm -hmm. miyazaki could you elaborate on that, Rich? Oh, okay. So um, we've talked about Berserk a lot, obviously. Um, the one thing that, like, to me is most Berserk-ish about Miyazaki's work is that Berserk starts off pretty, like, grounded. Mm-hmm. It looks like this is just, like, a elevated but historical like story about these guys fighting in this kingdom and everything the fantasy elements are in the background and then as it continues onward you get hints that there's there's monsters and things like hydra and stuff that are lurking sort of slightly off screen but they're not the focus otherwise it just looks like medieval knights and then there's an event that occurs later in the story that's just called the world transformation and in that, the world that we've seen up to that point, it like with the fog, it breaks down and it starts fusing with this other sort of magical world. And suddenly, all of these monsters just start showing up and inhabiting. Like people start seeing things out in the forest and they start seeing like little Domovoy things in their houses and stuff because the worlds are kind of merging together. So that's kind of like how the fog functions. Yeah, it's just the fog is more visible. Um, yeah, could, yeah. Because, like, everyone outside of it can kind of see. Like, it's like, oh, there's this giant fog. Which is strange, because when you're inside the fog, it's actually, like, it's not like the whole, like, maps and everything. Everything's, like, foggy. The areas generally look like how you'd expect if they look like if there was no fog. Besides the fog walls and, like, a few, like, like walls that where they, like, kind of put, like, a foggy effect over, it generally, the game doesn't, like, have it. And that may be mostly an artistic decision, but it's probably also tied into the ideas, like, the fog is sort of just blurring reality and imaginary, so it doesn't really need to be, like, seen everywhere so much. So the fog is basically kind of like the Red Moon. Yeah, it's the same deal. It's that Red Moon, like, it, it's not even specifically, like, a Berserk or Miyazaki thing, like, in Japanese culture, the idea of, like, the Red Moon and, like, the Twilight and things is, like, this is the point at which, like, hard boundaries start disappearing. So, like, Twilight is... Yeah, the witching hour and things like that. Yeah, like, Twilight is, like, it's not the night, it's not the day. 
Okay. I had a question about the demons. Where do they chill before they appear in Boletari and other places? Didn't exist. Whoa. For the most part, it seems like at least most of them that we encounter seem to all be sort of based upon things like Circa, the era the fog shows up in. So, like, Storm King appears because that was sort of, like, the remnant that was being worshipped, not only, like, sort of before the first Scourge, but, like, sort of is, like, a left around in the ruins there afterwards. And sort of same thing with, like, say... King Alot comes back with wyverns, which from the way, like, in the at least in the Japanese script, all the characters only refer to them as, like, lizards and stuff. So it seems like this idea that at the very least, like, it's not like, oh yeah, a dragon, like, it's not like something that's, like, in the collective conscious too heavily in comparison. Then there's stuff like, sort of, as I mentioned before, some of the demons are based on wildlife creatures. These, like, these are creatures which did exist, but they weren't demons before. Like, the entire idea is just that these are just, like, sort of normal animals that were sort of living there. They were doing their own thing. And then, like, the fog comes by, and it sort of, it makes all of these, it's made all of these sort of creatures, like, demons and stuff. So, like, when we get to, like, Dirty Colossus in Valley of Defilement, it has all these, at least as the official art book describes them, all these fly demons, which it's been gathering and floating around it by being, like, this giant, like, trash heap of, I guess, food and stuff that it would attract and then manipulate. Um, as part of it. And that's the same thing with like blood suck- some of the bloodsuckers we find and the jellyfish and like all these different wildlife creatures we-, we find down there. So like, I guess you could say those creatures were just doing their own thing beforehand, but for the most part, most of like the demon demons, like the vanguard and all these, as far as we are made aware, they don't seem to have existed before. Like they're just sort of like products of the fog. That's sort of like, they're like on the assembly line. Oh, okay. Alright, thank you. I'd like to talk about the Maiden in Black. Loki, you mentioned that she's called a firekeeper in Japanese. Well, yeah, at least I use that term for, like, the localization purposes. Technically, she's called, like, a fire defense woman. So the idea is, I think in the localization, they translate this as, like, candle maiden or something to that effect. Hmm. But it's the same term being used. So this is another term that got brought from Demon Souls to Dark Souls. When you hear her being called like the maiden in black, it's the idea is that she's the black clothed firekeeper, essentially, or the firekeeper in black, if you want to put it. And this becomes like a very funny, oh, ha ha ha, in Dark Souls 3, when they talk about how like, oh, you have the eyes of the first firekeeper or whatever, right? And in Dark Souls 3, it has a completely different context, but it's a very, in a meta sense, it's a very obvious reference. Mm-hmm. The maiden in black was blind. She was a firekeeper. Oh, har har, Miyazaki. Oh, that's a really good point, actually, because I didn't see it that way. But now that you say that both terms for the women who are in the shrines are firekeepers, basically, that makes sense. Yeah, those eyes do make sense. There's tons of like crossover with like from software references between all their properties, especially when it comes to like Dark Souls and Demon Souls. They love their references to Demon Souls. Just to be clear, the idea is that Demon Souls and Dark Souls are separate games. They're not connected in any secret. There's no secret. Oh, they're all, it's all connected. They're all part of one big universe. The idea is just that Miyazaki seems to have something where it's like, okay, I have this image. Oh, this is something just like Demon Souls. Let's recreate that. And then the lore and the specifics will explain it in the context of their universe. But like, if you're like looking for just like meta references and stuff, you can find them en masse. Like they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Loki. That's very insightful. So Loki, the firekeeper, has a quote. Uh, She says, Soul of the mind, key to life's ether, soul of the lost, withdrawn from its vessel. Let strength be granted so the world might be mended. What does that mean? 
So the Japanese text is, gives a little clarity in terms of all this, because it's a little slightly different in terms of the detail. So the idea is that logic of all things that lives, which no longer returns to its master, power of the soul that comprehends relations and mediates them, grant this person possibility, thus become the world's place to go. And then she repeats it, so it's thus becomes the world's place to go. So it's sort of like this chant she has. The first sentence is saying, okay, logic of all things that lives, which no longer returns to its master, power of the soul that comprehends relations and mediates them. This entire idea is just like, okay, so the soul is sort of your ability to reason. It's logic. So you are able to reason and rationalize because you have a soul. But she is being presented with a soul, which belonged to someone, but that person is dead. We took their soul and all that, and now we're presenting to her to level up. So she's going, okay, so... It no longer has a master, so it's a masterless soul. It no longer returns to its master. The person's like dead. They're not using their brain anymore. Um, power of the soul that comprehends relations and mediates them. As we went over, it's the idea of that the soul. The soul gives you the power of the mind, the thought of comprehension. So therefore, your ability to sort of you you look at your surroundings and you're able to not only perceive that these things are and sort of the idea being is that you're able to sort of organize and conceptualize it's super hard because this is such a like this is something we do naturally as humans right sure. but the idea is just that your ability to sort of comprehend and look at something it's like okay i'm looking at my screen right now and i can tell that's a screen i know how it is i know how it works in relation to everything else in this space we call the universe and reality that we interact with these are sort of all the things the power that the soul governs grant this person possibility so we get to this idea of the maiden in black she receives our soul it sort of gets filtered somehow through her demon soul and uses that power somehow her ability to like suck out spirits and sort of move that she's able to use that in the reverse to kind of break down the soul make it into sort of all these possibilities you can do with its power and then reinvigorate that into okay you get like a little bit more stronger or you get a little bit more healthier or robust so you can take more hits or maybe you're you're a little bit more resistant to disease or all these sort of little things or maybe you're luckier so all these like sort of like innate traits to human beings are sort of being uplifted by the soul and the power of possibility and then the idea is thus become the world's place to go so the idea here is that the the demon slayer your main character is supposed to be shouldering sort of reality right the idea is that you are the one who's sort of clearing these lands of demons allowing the archstones to do their thing and everything and the world needs that basis in order to continue existing with the fog sort of sucking up and breaking apart reality and all that so it needs a quote-unquote place to go a sort of place it can kind of rely on and consider like it's bedrock and that's the idea that we're supposed to fulfill that role we're supposed to be that bedrock to kind of keep everything everything doing so so the localization just goes so the world might be mended just to kind of make it simpler or easier to digest for someone who hears it okay thank you when we arrive to the nexus and we meet the maiden in black she sort of resurrects us or something what's going on there I think that's just what I think it's just exactly as you said. She just sort of we die essentially, but we've been already sort of bound to the Nexus. Maybe the Monumental had something like this planned from the beginning. But the idea is once you die to the demon boss, I guess that's your first canonical death or something. Then the game essentially decides that okay, you've now died um, officially fighting this like big monster and everything. We're binding you to the Nexus, so you're gonna instead resurrect at this area. Your soul's not going to be, like, dead and you're going to stay there like every other poor sap. You've actually now been brought here. You've been sort of linked into this bigger system that they've all set up. You're part of, like, the, the all this, I guess, the network, as we mentioned last episode. And the idea is that 
in this network, you're going to be able to stay alive, similar to kind of like the monumental. However, you're now trapped here. So essentially, because you're bound to this network, you ca- it's sort of like you can never truly escape. And to some extent, the implication might be that, like, if you tried to, like, just run away and leave, they might be able to just prevent you from doing that outright. Like, it's like you can't get too far and then or else you maybe, like, die or something. Who knows? So mm-hmm. that seems to be the idea that's being brought here is that we're, like, prisoners here to some extent. And we have to fight our way defeating the demons on behalf of the Monumental and all that in order to really escape through the Archstones and things like that. And the Monumental is the one that binds us to the Nexus. I can't remember if it's the Monumental or the Maiden in Black. I think it's the Maiden in Black maybe mentioned in the text, because there's a little text, I think, when you die, and it says something to the effect of... It's only in English, if I recall correctly. It's trapped your soul. It says, you have died and the Nexus has trapped your soul, is the on-text screen. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it, I think it's specifically through the maiden in black because she's the one that's doing like the the ritual and all that stuff. The maiden in black follows the monumental, so it's not the one doing it directly. It's just sort of directing her and everyone else because sort of it's the one that's uh, in charge here. And the monumental is the one that binds the maiden in black to the nexus. Yeah, it looks like, well, I guess it was her and everyone else that was, like, alongside her when they all became monumentals, is the idea is that when they became the keymen for the keystones, the Maiden in Black seems to have been sort of bound here as well, and it was all part of the in-service to this system. The Maiden in Black seems to be trapped here until essentially the Old One, um, until they go to see the Old One, that seems to be the point when either the Monumental or the Maiden in Black or however this system is set up frees her so she's no longer bound and she could be killed and all that. Okay, thank you. Now, Loki, something that I found interesting is in your translation post, you mentioned that she has bare feet and you explain why. Could you elaborate on that? According to her official profile, she's using that to help her feel around. So, like, the idea is that she has her eyes covered in wax, so she can't, so she's been blinded, essentially, um, similar to Goff in Dark Souls. And then the idea is that now that she's blind, she uses her feet to kind of get a better grasp of, like, her surroundings. So it's like, okay, this is cold stone, I can feel it. She doesn't get mm-hmm. that as much when she has her shoes on or things like that. So it just mm-hmm. helps her better get a grasp of what her surroundings are, so she's able to move around and uh, do everything she needs. Mm-hmm. And does anybody know why she has wax on her eyes? I don't think it's ever said explicitly, but it seems to be a punishment related to her becoming the quote-unquote candle maiden and becoming like the firekeeper and all that. Because it seems like in general she is a demon. She was a demon, and sort of for becoming a demon and in effect helping the old one as a result. We have this character who has been sort of beaten, punished, and sort of made into a prisoner to help demon slayers in case the old one ever returns and otherwise is unable to sort of escape or do anything with any free will. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, Loki, something that we brought up on another Demon Souls podcast that you haven't heard because it's not out yet okay. is that if you look at the layout of the Nexus, there's the the six archstones, and then like below that, near where Stockpile Thomas is, there is that sort of like it's just a big flat area with nothing in it apart from a ton of developer messages, right? Uh huh. One of the things we talked about is like, do we think that the Nexus in the prior events that led to where we are now, if that was like a temple that people could come and go from, that would have been 
the entryway. As in, did it exist before That's um, what we were thinking. it became the Nexus, so to speak? Yeah, because we were thinking, especially in terms of, like, it looks a hell of a lot like Filing Shrine in Dark Souls 3. It's that little entryway leading to the two curved stairs. With the if I recall shrine. correctly, though, there's nothing. There's not even like a doorway or anything, right? Like yeah, but they they could have bricked it up. Is what we were thinking. Yeah, because, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Well, if it's the idea is that you wanted to, cre- you had this because we don't. We again, in the terms of like what my thoughts would be in terms of why the why the nexus sort of exists as it is. Why is it this like big sort of temple? Because it doesn't seem like you need too much. You just need the archstones and everything. It you may it may be a case that they just repurpose an existing temple from their civilization. Like one of the things that's interesting is that we see a statue of what looks like I think a woman with a sword or something. And yeah, she, yeah. So we see like there's that imagery. And one thing I've pointed out before is that the monumental is a woman. And I'm not sure if we said this outright or explicitly in the last episode sin but the reason why we keep referring to her as she even though even her official profile at the beginning is sort of like a man or a woman like it's sort of like supposed to be this ambiguous androgynous character is that the friends ring which you get like towards like i guess the end of the quote-unquote quest line is essentially like when you go through like get her trust essentially um Hmm. she'll give you a ring and in the japanese description of that ring it's very explicitly called uses the pronoun she or her into to refer to the character of the monumental which is interesting because if the monumental and perhaps the monumentals in general that we see like become these higher beings we're all women it fits in a lot with what we see not only in latria which is a separate discussion but also with like legends of witches and things that were existing like apparently like the idea with yuria's hat is that like oh it looks like the tricorn hat was actually worn by real witches it's like oh huh so yeah it seems like there was this idea that women were understood in like the old days to be more receptive. Either they were more naturally talented or they were so, just born with this natural inclination to magic and being able to cast it so much more naturally. You'd have to go through like a formal training to at least use it like right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah, this doesn't seem to be exhibited with men in in Demon Souls' lore. And the idea seems to be that, okay, so these women have a natural inclination, so some cultures seem to have been in the the situation where, okay, well, we have to favor women or women to to take a certain special prominent role in society because of this fact. And maybe the idea seems to be that they're childbearers, so because of that, like, somehow the idea with souls and magic, sort of, they get, like, more souls or they are more, like, in touch with their soul or something to that effect. Whatever the specific reason is, the idea seems to just be that okay well if you're the monumental civilization you're supposedly like the ones who controlled the world at the time you're like the boletaria of your age you you're the big superpower it makes sense then that you would have been a culture that did favor or prefer women for the similar reason that's how you kind of helped get you sort of the dominance with soul arts and magic over other civilizations at the time and one of the ideas may have been that the monumentals essentially built up their entire civilization around like women at like the top of the society at the time. And so maybe one of these women was the maiden in black and she chose to become a demon and help the old one to that end mm. or betrayed their kind for whatever reason. Cause we know this idea is that the, the monumentals, at least like as a civilization had become greedy over time and that they became sort of this sort of like they lusted for more power. They were so obsessed with the soul arts that it led them down to awaken this eldritch abomination, which they, they should have known better that they might not be able to control it, but apparently they didn't. And at least the way that the Monumental talks about the Maiden in Black, it seems to be the idea that the Maiden in Black essentially was a demon by her own choice. 
if she wasn't being nailed down by the Nexus, she would just be like, oh, oh, I'm just a demon in the world or something. And we know she's one of the oldest and most powerful of the demons from that age. So it may be a case of similar to, say, King Alant or Astraea or something like that. She was just a normal human in monumental society. The old one was awoken, or maybe she's in some way crucially responsible for that. And she sort of embraced and helped the old one back then, but they ended up capturing her and using her for that. Now, does this mean the Nexus was a temple maybe in that civilization and that this statues of like women with swords that we're seeing maybe like icons from like their religion or their culture from back then maybe we also see several i think like swords or items behind that statue which we also see in like stabbed into the old one almost like they were like arrows or something shot so it may be the case that the temple existed and again going back to this idea maybe it was a sky temple maybe it was something like it was sort of like a an airstrike and they would like shoot these like magic spears that would fire at the old one and that's why it has all those in its back because it's sort of like you know it's like arrows like on the hiding knights or something right like it's sort of like Mm -hmm. they would try to actually like do battle with the old one itself in order to try to defeat it because they have to somehow like get it into a point where they can seal it Mm -hmm. away right in the nexus so that's really interesting loki because the maiden in black seems to know the old one for example in the english text she says Old one, I have brought thee what thou wishest, thy new demon, come on now, be good. And the way she talks to the old one makes it seem like she's almost talking to a baby. And you actually have a translation of this. And the translation says, beast over here, the new demon you wanted, right? Now, be a good baby. <laughs> yes, the yeah, she's very explicit in the idea is that like, oh, like you know, like she's treating it like it's like a little doggy she just found, like off the side oh. of the road or something. It's like, oh you it's like come here boy, like oh you're so so cutie wubby 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 demon that's gonna destroy the world. Oh her old one is my Lambo. Yeah. And this whole relationship between uh, the Maiden in Black and the Great One, it reminds me of the childhood's beginning ending in Bloodborne where your player character turns into a slug and the doll is like are you cold and then she picks you up like a baby and goes oh good hunter yeah i feel like there's something similar going on maybe the little slug grew up to be a big old one (laughs) you know what (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) say it sin do it now before richard just like logs off I think we should ask a little slug who cannot lie if that is the case. That is indeed the case. (laughs) (laughs) You are right once again, Sing. (laughs) I did not know that that was possible in your vocal cords, Richard. Richie's amazingly talented. I can't. (laughs) I can't. I'm glad we have evidence that that's live. That's not me making myself higher in post. (laughs) So thank you, Loki. Thank you, Richie. So now I'd like to talk about the old one. Again. (laughs) Okay. Again. (laughs) But this time in a little bit more detail. Okay. The old one is really big. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the old one also resembles a tree or something. Yeah, like a bunch of trees. <laughs> yeah. Of that. I don't know if this is something like specifically 
Lovecraftian, but the idea seems to be that the old one is just like this mass of like trees and earth and rock and like all this stuff that's kind of like amassed together into like this entity and like its quote unquote mouth is just like a hole that leads into this like a cave essentially of like these trees and rocks and stuff. And there's like the core and everything. And as I mentioned before, it has all these like spears and things stabbed into its back and it has like birds that will fly around it because I guess they're like just nesting there. Like I guess when it was slumbering, it was just like this giant like forest essentially. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I think it's a way of making it seem very old. There's a whole thing in From about like very, very old trees. Yeah. Yeah. So you have like obviously Dark Souls has the arch trees, and then the great ones in Bloodborne, we've talked about this a bit, but they have a lot of plant sort of anatomy to them. I think it's a deliberate sort of blurring of is this a plant or an animal? We don't actually you see know. similar thing with Iceland. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And in the English text, I think the Monumental talks about neutralizing the old one and how that also bent the soul's arts. Could you just elaborate on the relationship between the old one and the soul's arts and why neutralizing the old one bends the soul's arts? Well, it's it, there's sort of two separate events. So the, the idea, like I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is that the soul, it's not like the old one is like the origin or the cause of all sort of soul arts and magic. Like magic still exists in the world even after the old one's been put to slumber and before it wakes up and after like all of that, like the soul arts are still going to be around. As long as they're souls, there's, there's, you can always manipulate them and use them. The idea is just that when the old one's awoke and it's become, it's spread its fog around Boletaria and areas neighboring it, it suddenly become this land that energizes magic. So like miracles and sorcery and all that, all that stuff ends up becoming like, oh, we're all more powerful. So the idea seems to have been like they they it doesn't specify how exactly they put the old one to slumber, just they were eventually able to get it done. And then after they did so, the idea was, okay, the old one's now put to sleep. We've learned our lesson. Soul arts, bad. We are banning these. And basically, the, the Monumentals essentially told all other civil, essentially told, I guess, all other civilizations that were willing to listen, hey, you know what? We're going to, like, stop with this magic thing. We're going to, like, ban it, forbid it. You're not going to touch it. And then we're all going to slowly forget about it over the years. What could possibly go wrong? And the idea seems to have been then that once the Monumentals forbid it and they became like the arbiters of the Nexus and all that and they became what helped mend the world back together and reality was put back in its place. Then it became this idea of like, okay, we're just going to listen and we'll do it and we'll build, we'll, our civil, civilization history will march on without sort of magic as being like the focal points of it. And we see how like different, um, the different countries and civilizations, at least that we visit, um, were affected by that and how that affected sort of the geopolitical history leading up to the game. But again, that'll be a separate thing we could discuss later. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So I have a question about putting the old one to sleep. Do they put the old one to sleep because they don't want to harm it or because they just don't know how to basically destroy it? Presumably the latter, because if you could get rid of the poison god left behind on the earth, I think they would have done it a long time ago. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like, there's no benefit to keeping the old one alive. There's never given a reason why you should keep it alive if you could. It just seems like you can't. Like, it's too powerful. It's too strong. The best you could do is, like, put it to sleep and hope no one wakes the sleeping beast. Yeah, it's it's that cosmic horror thing of, like, this isn't something that we have to defeat. The horror is just that it's there and there's nothing we can do about it. 
Yeah, the idea is that like yeah. if God like put it on the face of the earth, then he's not going to make it something that humans can deal with. It's simply a matter of you have your choice. Are you going to be good little humans and use your souls for solely thought? Or are you going to be bad little humans who are going to manipulate your souls, get greedy and lust for power, and eventually wake this sleeping tiger on your own and get your, all yourselves killed because you, you couldn't do what I wanted, essentially. And do you think the Nexus was created to subdue the old one, or did Nexus already exist and they sort of repurposed it to subdue the old one? The thing I specifically was thinking with regard to the Nexus's original like position and function and everything is that the two kind of like endpoints of Dark Souls 3, if you consider the untended graves to be an endpoint, is that you have Filing Shrine surrounded by nothing. That like the world has completely vanished apart from Filing Shrine, which is literally seems to be holding it together. Mm-hmm. So that's what the Nexus made me think of. Like, if you take Dark Souls three forward a bit, and then you bricked up the entrance, you would just have this temple floating in nothingness. Right. Because yeah. it's this holy site; it's able to like keep itself together. Hmm. True. And you know, in the end, when you defeat all the demons and the maiden in black takes you to the old one, mm-hmm. you end up on a beach. So, like, where is that? The idea may be that there's like this is just like one area that the old one happens to be in, and the nexus was above at the time. The idea is that it's calling for us, right? Like, it's it's yeah. there. Like the fog has spread and everything, and then once all the demons are dead, it's sort of calling. It's coming to meet up with us and try to recruit us. Is the idea and. Mm. If that's the case, then I think it just makes more sense that this is actual just a generic physical beach that happens to be the meeting point and that like where the Nexus and the old one happen to meet up. You know, when the Maiden in Black pulls you into the tunnel, could it be a portal that like leads you to the beach and the actual Nexus could be somewhere else? If you want to go with the idea that like it's either a place that the Nexus isn't there physically, it could be a portal. If you want to go with like it's a dimension, it could also be a portal. It's just it's not it's not made obvious, at least by like what we see visually or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I think I know how they put the old one back to sleep exactly. Oh, God. So <laughs> what happens is the doll shows up and she goes, I eagerly await Loki reaching Bloodborne and having to explain that, yeah, that beach with the old one in it, it's in Bloodborne. <laughs> <laughs> it's like literally underground <laughs> somehow. <laughs> That was Demon Souls Translations with Loki, part two of, we think, three? We'll see. (laughs) Maybe three, maybe four, who could say? Maybe 20. Maybe 20. And we talked about the old... Oh, yeah, and you'll be able to do this again when it's remastered. Maybe 400. (laughs) Oh, my. Loki, where can people find you on social media? You can find me at... Loki underscore DS, that's Loki underscore DS on Twitter. And you can also contact me via email at DarkSoulsLoki at gmail.com. That's DarkSoulsLoki at gmail.com, all one word. We should also clarify that Loki is L-O-K-E-Y, not L-O-K-I. Thank you so much for coming by, Loki. We really appreciate it. All your translations are very insightful. Thank you. I can't wait to be back. Yay. Okay, well, thank you, Loki. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, Sin. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye. Wait.
way to pat yourself on the back there, huh? Bye! <laughs>